0: In today's podcast, we feature an episode of Contractor Evolution from Breakthrough Academy.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is Benji. Hope you're having a great day. Today's episode is a case study with Janelle and Cooper Leary of CLS Landscape Supply. They started out as a small landscape supply outfit in Calgary, Alberta. They've actually started their, their business as a, as a school project and university, and they've since grown to three locations and added a thriving landscape construction division to their business as well. But only a few short years ago, this husband and wife team was stuck at $4.5 million in revenue, which is actually not bad, but they had no idea where the profit centers in their business were and no ability to forecast into the future. It'd grown to a point where they were simply making gut decisions all the time wasn't good enough anymore. And while their business instincts were actually really good, they needed better data and better tracking to support them. Furthermore, their team was at a size where just winging it with their business and by extension the livelihood of their team members didn't feel right to Cooper and Janelle anymore. So after beginning to work with Breakthrough Academy, the parent company to this Contract Revolution podcast, they implemented a master business plan or MBP file for short. That's what we're going to refer to it as in this episode. Um, And this system infinitely improved their visibility into the company and laid the foundation for the growth they've since experienced. Now, COVID helped out a little, but their business has boomed over the last two years and they're on trend to do a profitable 10 to $11 million this year with a solid leadership team in place. Today's conversation is about bridging the gap from data blindness to dialed in tracking and how to build out a leadership team. Among other things. Listen, if you want results like Janelle and Cooper, then you should join Breakthrough Academy. It's honestly that simple. The first step of the journey is to do a business assessment with us where someone from our team will analyze your contracting business, answer your questions, and determine whether you'd be a fit. So to schedule a business assessment with us, click the link in the description of this episode. Without further ado, let's dive into it with Janelle and Cooper. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor
0: from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting.
1: Cooper and Janelle, welcome. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks. excited to be here. So, um... We're going to start just, like, with a little bit of the backstory on CLS. You guys have have kind of a, a neat a neat uh, path that led you to here. I, I, we were talking offline. It sounds like you guys started this as, like, a school project.
2: We did. MRU, uh, Mount Royal University in Calgary. We started there. Oh, man, that was 2009. Yeah. That was a long time ago.
1: But this was literally just, like, a your program was like, you guys need to start some, you know, business as like a case study or as like a final project or something. And you guys just decided to do a landscape supply shop and then roll from there.
2: Yep. Yeah. We had two practicum semesters that we had to start and run a business successfully. And, and, and you guys kept going with it <laughs> Yeah. till today. Yeah. How, how Probably how, tomorrow. <laughs> how, how are, how
1: were those first, like, how were those first few years? Like, what was your guys' startup journey? Like, was it
2: hard? Was it a grind? I would, I would categorize it as a grind. It was hard. It was, um, a lot of 12 to 14 hour days. It was seven days a week. Um, I think coming out of school, I, I think we thought our competitive advantage was we could work longer hours and harder and faster than everybody. And that would be the success to win. Um, and I'm not sure that school really set us up for a contracting business, like especially not a service-based contracting business, uh, not a supply business. So it was like, it was a, it was a steep learning curve. And we thought, the way to get there, which I mean, it got us to where we are today, but it was outworked the problems like it was right. just work harder. Um, I mean, Janelle would sleep in the office some nights. Um, it was it was a lot of long days um, at the beginning. Janelle, what do you remember with that time?
3: Um, I just remember working as hard as I could and taking in any feedback that anyone would give us. Um, my dad helped us a lot get started. Um, Yeah, we just, like Cooper said, we just tried to outwork everyone. everyone. We had longer hours than our competitors. We would provide better service than anyone. And I do think that is what has got us to where we are now, but... Mm -hmm it was definitely not sustainable. That kind of ran its
1: course. Yes. Yeah. I like it's, it's, it's not a bad, it's not a bad way to get started, but at some point you kind of go, okay, this is maybe not what we want to do forever. How, how long would you say that that period lasted? Like in high, I know it was a long time ago now, but how long was that sort of like startup mode that that really grassroots approach to business? How long did that last for you guys?
3: Uh, I would say it was probably three to four years. And then we hired a couple people and by then we were able to take a Sunday off. Right. Like we didn't have to work seven days a week. So I it was probably three to four years of we would work from April 1st until October 31st and not take a day off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was a seasonal business. It was was okay. So you did have the winters off. But once it was go time, it was just hair straight back the whole the whole way. At some point along at some point along the story, you guys got connected with us, started working with Breakthrough Academy, worked with Coach Brad for a long time, now working with Coach Dan. When you kind of think back to that chapter, what was the what was the problem that you guys were experiencing? What were you feeling that uh, that made you reach out to us?
3: Uh, I think it was that we realized that hard work was not going to get us to the next level. We needed help. We needed some sort of guidance and accountability from someone that knew better than we knew. yeah. Um, And our biggest thing was we didn't have the data. Like we didn't know where we were sitting at ever. We went purely based on gut. Um, And it got us a long ways, but I think it was as we hired out our team, we needed more people um, and they needed more structure. And so just not having the data was a big
2: yeah, we were like a racehorse running really fast right. with not sure which direction to go. Right. Yeah. There was not a lot of lots of horsepower and no steering. Lots. Yeah. Of, exactly. Mm-hmm. We went that way for I want to say like seven to ten years almost. Like yeah. we worked really hard. We had high-performing teams, but we just didn't really know where we were going and we didn't know why. We were just running. <laughs> so was it was there
1: was there like a point in time when you're like, man, we really should figure out like the direction we should have some better analytics. We should have some better tracking of our data, we should, we should make decisions in a more effective, way. was there, you mentioned like the team was, was developing, was there, um, was there some moment where you were just like, huh, we, we really can't just do this on gut anymore.
3: Yeah. I don't remember the like exact moment, but I think it was Cooper was getting very burnt out because he was working far more hours than I was because I just, I was not able to work as hard as mm-hmm. he was. Um, and it just, everyone was, you, you kind of know what you need to do, but you don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And Breakthrough had reached out to us a couple times and we had kind of just, blown it off
1: yeah I remember I think it was <laughs> me calling you guys it was yeah and Cooper I, was,
3: not, like, into Cooper was at at not into it at <laughs>
1: all and I was, was like, like I
3: think we need this
1: you, I, mean, I remember meeting you and yeah. Cooper was like pacing around in the back <laughs> yes. and he'd like maybe come in and like make a comment and then like bounce out and I was like okay this is all right this is gonna be interesting um Cooper for you like when you think back to that time you know uh, lots of horsepower no direction anything else that was really sort of becoming problematic as you guys grew
2: I think I do a great job of putting my head down and working really hard. I don't think I come up for air too often. So Janelle was really the driving force. And it actually, it took us a long time to understand what we needed. I don't think anyone ever told us, hey, you need to go like, you know, talk to a business coach. You need a peer group. You need these things to like help you scale. I don't even think scale was a word that I really thought about, but we needed a way to scale this business. Uh, up to the next level. We needed a way to, to find kind of like one year we would do way more revenue, but we wouldn't make as much money. And it felt like we needed to find those profit sweet spots. We needed to find a way to scale. And then we needed to figure out long-term, like how do you make uh, a landscape business saleable? So in the industry, it's not the norm that they sell. They kind of just fizzle away. That's right. Um, so I think we're, we're like, it took a lot of deep soul searching to understand the why and like w- what we're trying to get to. Um, and like I credit Janelle 100%, and probably you, maybe actually her 99, you won. You sold me, sure. which <laughs> I've done very little, yeah. Well, yeah, uh,
3: you got us got got there, yeah.
2: No, but it really it took a lot to convince me because I was very much just like, nope, just go do the job, yeah, like, head down. And I wasn't really looking beyond my shadow. That, um,
1: that profit sweet spots thing is interesting. Do you, do you kind of remember what was happening there? Were, were you? did you think you were making tons of money on certain projects and then it turns out you weren't, were there some surprises, some Oh shit moments with the accountant? Like what you say,
2: those profit sweet spots. What, what do you tell me more about that? I don't think it was that there was an Oh shit moment. It was just like, we'd work way harder and we'd go from 3 million to 4 million in revenue, but it, at the bottom line, wouldn't really change. Like right. we had to increase our overhead, had to increase a lot of, uh, a lot of expenses to get to the next level. And it wasn't like, there was no, there was like no GP. Yeah. yeah, so it was like, what's the point? But we didn't know, like we would just get there and then go, oh, well that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, there was no forward looking. It was always like, okay, see what happened. So it took, and I don't even think I realized, I always thought more revenue equaled more More dollars. profit, yeah. yeah. And it, it it didn't work that way. Um, So we needed to find the next profit suite. And I think even now we're still learning, like when we got to 8 million, we're like, We really need to be 10 million. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. yeah. But but now it's it's a forward looking thing. We now know where we need to be um, through our budget and our MVP file. Like that helps us understand where we we have a we have a plan of where we want to
1: get to. So you just mentioned something that's kind of a good segue. One of the we were talking offline, like it sounded like one of the the big thing. The if we're going to talk about like difference makers. That's really what I want to get into in this in this conversation with you guys. Is like what what for CLS made the biggest difference, and it's that seems to be a. Uh, people answer that question differently depending on their story and the market and the structure of the company. One of the things you guys had mentioned was like getting an MVP file in place and getting a lot more intentional about what you guys were doing. Janelle, you want to tell us a little bit about that process?
3: Um, sure. So when we signed up with BTA, it was December of 2019 and we had to do our budget before we could start Blueprint. And I remember we were driving... Um, out to BC for Christmas. I'm sitting in the car with the kids and I'm filling out our budget. We've never done this before. Yeah.
1: Did you get car sick?
3: No, I didn't. (laughs) Thank God. Yes. But we, we had no data to even help us fill out that budget. It was like, oh, I think we'll spend... $45,000 $45,000 in equipment repairs. But
1: you're like totally ballparking it.
3: Oh my god. Like, we we did not know a single. We knew arbitrary our top numbers. number. You're yeah. You're like that looks good. 100%. Next. Yeah. And
2: thinking back on that, that's kind of dangerous. I had to think and drive at the same time. You're like, "Hey, what's this number?" And I'd be like, "I don't know. $45,000." Yeah.
3: But then we so we did the budget and we did not come anywhere close to it in 2020. Um, because our business like exploded. Because of COVID, right? So we we were far better off than what we had thought we were going to be at. But we now having that um, MVP and having the budget, we have our monthly budget, we have our annual budget, we have our cash flow planning, our trending. Like it, every decision we make now, we know exactly why we're making that decision. And that was, I guess, the biggest.
1: Are there certain things when you think about that, that it allows you to see that you couldn't before? Like, are there certain numbers, metrics, things, or even just patterns, trends that you feel like you have really good visibility on now and it really helps you, whereas before you just had no clue?
2: The trend is huge. Like, I think we can look at our expenses monthly and go, wow, we've already spent 25% of use the equipment repair budget. Yeah, that's a great. Cause that's, that's great our
3: biggest line item. It yeah. is our equipment so, repairs.
2: But like at any point, Janelle can wrap off a number to you and know where we are as a percentage of our expense. Mm-hmm. We know exactly where we are. We did track revenue pretty good monthly, but now we really know against our budget. We know what percent we used and we know where we got to really work towards, you know, mm-hmm.
1: how, how has this like better visibility changed the way that you guys work with your team, the way you lead your people, that kind of thing.
3: Um, So it has helped our team immensely because they now understand why we do everything. It's no longer. I think they did to a certain extent, but as we grew, it became, well, like there's no reasoning why we're doing this. Right. And now we have, we know our numbers inside and out and we know why we're doing everything and we can present it to the team and then they can have their own kind of questions about why we're doing things. But they ultimately can come back and see why we as leaders are doing what we're doing.
1: You're able to like make the business case to them as to why a decision being made. Do you notice that they're like more bought into stuff, whereas maybe before they were a lot more skeptical about some of these decisions?
3: A hundred percent. Like they now know where they need to be on every given day. They know their labor budgets on what they can spend each day and if they are ahead or behind. Like it all just has made such a huge difference um, not only for our staff, but I also think for our, like our clients, like we now know what kind of jobs we are good at doing, mm-hmm. what kind of jobs make us money
0: mm-hmm.
3: and what kind of situations we maybe don't want to get into.
1: Right. Like avoid, like you say, you know, your profit sweet spots. You also probably know the, 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 the profit sort of killers of the yeah. jobs that you don't want to do the things to avoid. Um, has that given you guys as leaders like a new, like a newfound sense of confidence, like enjoyability? Like what's that? What is, I just i I'm curious in like the, what it feels like as a business owner could to go from like, um, we're growing, but like, if I'm honest, I don't really know what's going on here to super dialed in, locked and loaded. Like I, I see it all out in front of me. Like what's, what's that journey being like, just uh, what's that experience been like to go from there to here?
2: I would say it's gotten me the last 10%. So really what we went by gut intuition, like I feel strongly that my I'm very confident to begin with. Um, I felt like I always trusted the gut. I was like, we made a lot of decisions based on gut. You take a like a strong intuition or like a gut feeling, add the data, you have a successful decision 99% of the time. So I walk into every decision never questioning because I have my gut feelings telling me this, the data is backing it up this way. It. Boom. There's like, there's no, there's no question about the decision or at least the best data that we have. It allows me to make the best decision I can make. And, and I can go at that decision with hundred percent confidence. Mm -hmm. So, and the team also feels that way. It's not like, Oh, we're going to ride or die on Cooper's gut. Not maybe a great idea. It's like, Oh, but there's the data that backs it up. Now it's like, there's buy-in and, and as a leader really now our job is to Get the most out of the rest of the team. Uh, it's not how many hours can I work. How can I influence it? It's how can I help the team have greater leverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's good. It's really really good. So M B P file gets
1: implemented. Um, was that was that a ton of work? Like was this a big long arduous process to get it in place? Was it relatively quick? You can you can answer it honestly. Like get it, getting this
2: thing built out. Best involved. time we've spent, like I, I every every yes. minute we've spent, I've enjoyed doing it. So uh-huh. it hasn't felt, at least not to me. General does a lot of the data entry though, I shouldn't, I should <laughs> press <laughs> that. I just look at it a lot, so it's very easy it's for me. It's fun for you. Yeah,
3: I do all of the data entry, but I. it's like probably my favorite part of my job. Why? Because you can see how you're going against your plan. Like hitting your plan, I mean, I always like to exceed our plan and Dan always tells us that if we hit the plan, that's a win. Right. But I'm very much always want to be better than that. But it's it's my favorite part of what I do is filling that out and then sharing with everyone that like, hey, guys, we actually, We're our plan well, worked. Yeah. Like yeah. Our, we had a well laid out plan and we got
2: there. And it's kind of like being a sailboat captain. I feel like it's like standing at the the steering wheel helm, the helm, the helm of the, the sailboat. Like you just, you feel like it's just, everything's in front of you. You're at, you know, whatever reference you want to use, but you're just, everything's there. Yeah. You can see it all. You can see how it all works. It's, it's, it's kind of yeah. almost magical. It's, I, that,
1: that's, that's a good analogy. You're a man after my, my own heart. You know, I love to sail. Um, so I think, I think that's good imagery to, to put around it. So that, that MVP file, the intentionality that it's facilitated for you guys, the confidence it's given you when you make decisions, the buy-in that it's, uh, the buy-in that it creates for your team. When you make those decisions, all that stuff is really big and a huge, huge, huge part of this. So Cooper, what was the second big, big,
2: big difference maker for you guys? So I think it, it really had to do with a change in mindset. So, okay, let's take year one through five as a grind. Like, Hard, hard work. I'm getting pretty burnt out. We don't really have a direction. Year five through seven goes a little bit better, but still working a ton. No direction. Why would it go better five to seven? I feel like once you, you know, break that five year, you kind of have more financial stability. You, you. I mean, I, I, I am certain I put in ten thousand hours. Right. Like my ten thousand hours were put in between maybe a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a couple times. So you actually have the answers to the questions. You know, if, if there's a problem, you have the answer. It's just now you just got to overcome that problem. So it got a little bit better. Um, but then I was I like year five through 10, I was really coasting. Like I was like, ah, this business is fine. Landscaping is kind of like, you know, it's a it's not rocket science. It's not hard. So I just kind of did it. I was just going through the motions. I didn't have a lot of drive to to do a lot better. How come? Um I'm not sure. I think it was really, it was a burnout factor. It was just like, and I wasn't tremendously like proud to be like a landscape, you know, company owner. Like it wasn't, didn't give me a big sense of pride and joy to to do that. Uh, I'm not sure why it was just, I was, I think it was mostly just, I was tired. I wasn't Mm -hmm. ready to go to the next level. Um, and then like when we kind of started to join BTA, I don't know what happened, it, it really, it made a switch for me. Um, we were really working on the business and I was excited about that. And it was like, I wanted to be an industry, you know, changer, I wanted to impact the industry. And I think, you know, it, it really took a mindset shift to say, okay, I'm, I'm here and I want I wanna build this great thing for a lot of people to work at, a lot of people to be influenced by. I was never a great landscaper. I was never good at at going, "Okay, let's work really hard for 6 months and then let's take 6 months off." I've never been that guy. I, I like to just work mm-hmm. consistently. So the winters off were really really tough. Um and there was a big lack of vision. You know, it was like we didn't have a BHAG. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a strat plan. We didn't you know, we didn't know what we could become. And so I was just kind of stuck with going through the motions because I wasn't trying to get year 1 through 5. We had a great business plan. We had a great 5-year plan like a vision then we got there and it was like we never stopped to go well what it's next time to build that next five-year plan we never did it
1: was there something about like landscaping what you know l- trades construction i sometimes i hear this from some entrepreneurs in it like like what you just described cooper and I, i'm not going to put words in your mouth but i wonder if there's some level of like you're not fully sold on it because it has this like reputation with with, uh, with the public in general, where it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of dirty. You're it's blood, sweat and tears. You're out there in the muck. Like it's not this like polished office job where you wear slick suits. It's like, feels sexy and cool. It actually feels like at times a little rough around the edges. Like, did, was that something that you had to kind of like, was that a hump you had to get over and sort of buy into it? So, you know what, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like there are days when it's like this, but I've got a team I'm building. I've got a BHAG we're working towards. I'm impacting the community in a positive way. Like, was that,
2: I don't know, was that Was that a part of the mindset shift? For sure. Like, going to school, like, you always have this mindset, like, I'm going to go work at Tesla, and I'm going to be like, I'm going to do all these cool things that change. World. And then you get out there, and it's like, okay, I'm in an industry that's, yeah, it's viewed as kind of blue collar, and like, you know, you don't get the praise, but I mean, after we kind of joined BTA, it was like it was it was a total mindset shift, and it was like, yeah, I am doing all these things. I'm building this great team. I know where I'm going. I know how we're going to get there, and I'm like excited to do it. I'm yeah. really excited. The continuous learning thing was huge. Like I kind of we had gone through school, and then it was like I stopped learning. I like we learned the landscape industry after five years, and then it was like, well, now what? And it was we we're missing that con- the continuous learning thing and like personal growth. It really you know started reading more books and started doing a lot of of, of good work personally and for the business.
1: I have noticed that I think one of the the biggest differences between people that are super high performers in this space versus, let's just say the average or everyone who's trying to keep up is the people that do exceptionally well in landscaping or roofing or painting or construction or whatever, is that they somehow make it cool for themselves. Mm -hmm. There's like an identity thing that really matters where they're like, No, like this is actually kind of sick. Like I build really interesting homes. I create beautiful landscapes. Like you you have to sell yourself on it. You have to be like ride or die with your business. If you're just like, well, I do it because I fell into it and like, and you have this sort of like downtrodden attitude towards it. I just think that the motivation levels really, really wane. And this is a very difficult battle where you're going to get beat down and that will get to you if you don't have that sort of like, I don't know that swagger, that attitude towards it that I think you 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 found for yourself somewhere along the way. Ab- absolutely. No, everything you said there is 100% accurate. Cool. Um the third thing I I want to I want to get into here is the the install of your leadership team and I've lots of questions about this. You guys have gone from um, like I'm assuming just you guys to now I think a staff of 45, something no, like that. 60. 60? Yeah. And, and there's, and there's a really strong group at the top that you guys have. Janelle, can you just kind of take us through sort of the, the, the quick roster of your leadership team, what roles you have in place and kind of a few thoughts on what they're doing?
3: Uh, Yeah. So we have, um, obviously we started, it was just Cooper and I and a couple of our friends that helped work with us. And then, um, kind of our first hire was our GM who, Um, Came in on year three to Mm -hmm. open our second location, Um, and he kind of then became the guy that everyone went to. Right. Um, And then from there, we hired our construction manager, um, and then we've added two other locations. So we now have three location managers. We have a project manager for construction, and then we have our office manager. Okay.
1: And um, where did you guys find these people? Do you have any like when you think back about the journey of, of putting that in place? This is a very relatable part of the story. And I know a lot of like listeners will be I, like either in the the midst of doing this now or quickly approaching the point where they need like managerial roles. They need leaders within. Where did you guys find this people? What was the recruitment process like like for you? Any insight or tips you can you can give about about just yeah re- recruiting and, and getting these people in place?
3: So we kind of went all over. Um, Our GM was a friend of ours who also worked in the landscape industry. And so he then came and worked with us when he decided to close down his landscape industry or his landscape business. Sorry. Then we had um, our one location manager was a resume that came through the email. She lived in Ontario. She was moving to Calgary. Mm -hmm. She wanted a job. Mm -hmm. That one was kind of. Got lucky. Yeah. And then I would say Cooper's network of people was the rest of our leadership team, short of our project manager. Um, we kind of recruited to become a landscape foreman and then he has grown internally.
1: What is Cooper? What's your ground game? Like, are you, are you off? Are you sort of like an always be recruiting type person?
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I really believe in like Stacking our team, stacking the bench, uh, whatever reference you want to use, we'll find. But it, I identify good people who have you know similar beliefs and traits to like what our our team needs, and I think it's a really active ground game. It's it's a I've used my network a lot, and people. It's like, I go out and reach out to people, but then also like, there's people who will come to me and go, Hey, this guy, he he's looking for a job. He's a great guy. Like, I think you should chat with him and I'll chat. And, and sometimes like, this is not like a overnight thing either. It's like, I'll, I'll chat with people for a year, two years, uh, before we find the right spot for them. But it's like an active, consistent conversation that we're having about, you know, what our needs are and like how people can fill them. So do you have
1: I, any thoughts on how to do that? Like what, like. I think a lot, of, I think that actually makes a lot of people uncomfortable sometimes, like they don't want to be too aggressive yep. and, and you don't, you definitely don't want to be like, Hey man, you want to come work for us tomorrow? It's like, that's maybe too much. It, what is your tact when you're like, when you're getting to know someone, how do you bring up your business in a way that's sort of like, you know, present positions it well, but isn't too in their face? Like, how do you just build the relationship and make it clear to them that it's a growing business, there are going to be opportunities, but not be sort of like, you know, breathing down their neck about it?
2: You know I mean, what I'm asking? Yeah, no, no, I do. And that's, that's an amazing question, actually. Um, and, and if I was to think about it, I think it would be, I think people always know that our business, like I'm always telling people about CLS. I'm telling them about how we're growing, the roles that we're filling, how many great people are working there, how fun our team is. And I think... I, I think I always close a conversation with you know if not that I'm looking to if you're looking for a new job but if you ever are looking for something please come chat with me I'd love to shout more because I, I look up to these people I, I admire their their skill set mm-hmm. and I think I'm very vocal about telling them you know that I think what they do is great um, I admire how they do their job mm-hmm. and show them that like hey, there's always open positions at CLS. Like, we are always looking for people who are game changers, high performers. Mm -hmm. Like, we are always looking for those people. So they always know it's like... There's always a, an open door to my office or, or my phone line's always open.
1: And then what happens? Do you like, do you get a text being like, hey, yeah. Cooper, I thought about our lunch like last month. Can we can we go for lunch again? Like, how, do, do they do, is that what happens? Do they indeed sort of come back around at some point? Or they decide they hate their boss. They have a bad week at their current job. And then all of a sudden, all those seeds you were planting kind of
2: bear fruit. Absolutely. It And, and, and I will tell you, honestly, the three people that work kind of directly under like they're my direct reports they probably a year and a half maybe two years of, before of like courting uh, yeah and absolutely a relationship and, absolutely it yeah. took it took a lot of time like even i think the, the shortest one was like about a year and it was hey man i don't really have the position for you right now but you know if you're if you're looking for something down the road, let me know. Yeah. And it just kind of comes around, and it's it's funny how things just kind of work out sometimes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And enough conversations. And I I mean, like today, I would tell you that I'm cultivating ten to twelve people right now that fifty percent of them may never turn out. But, but you've got a hopper, like you've got oh, yeah. a pipeline yeah. all the time. Eh? Absolutely, and it, it 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 comes very natural. It's it's very. Um, I, I like talking with a lot of people about anything in the, in the industry. Like I have great conversations with these people and sometimes it never has anything to do with employment. Mm-hmm. But it might just have to do with where the industry is going, you know, what they're doing, what they're enjoying and just active conversations. And I check in with a lot of people. So that's good. Yeah, that's those are really, really good points. I, 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 uh, I th-
1: thank you for answering that. Now that these people are in place and it's never like a permanent thing. People come and go. It's something that needs to be maintained. But you guys do have a pretty what sounds like a pretty sound core of um, of leaders within your business. I wonder if you could both shed some light on how your roles as leaders have changed as a result of installing that layer. Is it is it harder? Is it easier? Is it different? Like, what's what's been your experience going from a very small, basic, sort of simple business to now one with with proper
2: tiers and, and leaders within? Like I said, I I would say it's it's different. It's definitely not easier. It's every decision means a lot more. Uh, I would say the hours that I have to work are way, way, way less. Um, there, we just have such a good team, but it's it's more. You have to become a leader um, that really shows people what they're capable of. You know, like you have to manage their their vision and their you know standards to the next level, mm-hmm. and it's really about helping them get there. So I would say it's it's different. It's it's definitely less hours, and it's it's more conversational. It's not like I make a decision, it's I have a conversation and we decide how we're moving forward, not just here's the decision.
1: What have you found unexpectedly hard about it, about about having like this, the, the GMs, um, you know, location managers, project managers, what have you found unexpectedly hard about it?
2: Just the the pure you have to manage people's emotions you know you don't ever want them to feel like they're not being heard mm. uh, and and sometimes you have to make really tough decisions that you give them enough autonomy to make a lot of decisions and then sometimes you have to call a little bit of that back to mm-hmm. make sure you're going in the right direction mm-hmm. I think that that in itself is like I, I want them to feel empowered and I want them to feel like because they really do make a huge difference and, mm-hmm. and they they really they run most of the business. But sometimes you have to have those tough conversations that Mm -hmm. I wasn't ready to have. Like, it was easy when I just made a decision and it was like, you know, I I made the decision. That's what we're doing now. It's there's a little bit more give and take.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting,
2: Uh, especially the managing
1: emotions part. Like you you talk, you hear a lot about uh, I'm always talking in sports analogies, but you hear a lot about like really 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 high level coaches in the NBA when you have like these like super teams you are like so much of your job is basically managing egos and emotions and like so that people can share the ball and they feel like they're involved enough and they're getting enough opportunities but you're also doing what's best for the team which isn't always those two things aren't always aligned so it's like It just, I just feel like that's such a good parallel. It is such a delicate balance when you're not the one making all the phone calls or doing all the activities or completing all the tasks. You have other people leading, other people doing that. Your position is is much less like giving direction and more, I think, just um, yeah, like managing egos, managing emotions, managing the roller coaster ride that they're on, and hopefully putting in a position where where they can thrive. Janelle, do you have anything to add on on like how how your position perspective, your leadership style has changed with, with this team now?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think similar to Cooper, it's, it's not easier, but it's also, it's just more, it's a different challenge now. It's every decision you make with the team has more impact one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think what has helped me the most is really defining our company values and then making sure that everyone's decisions that they make um, anywhere within the business kind of comes back to that. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a good sounding board to make sure that someone's not going in the wrong direction,
2: I guess. And I think it's also really tough to with, you know, your basketball analogy is great because you have to like lead every, uh, everyone on our leadership team wants a different interaction. You can't, you know, Mm -hmm. Person A, you can't deal with the same way as person B. Mm. And so you're constantly shifting your approach to how they react the best. And I think, you know, some people want the, you know, they want the straight answer. They don't, they don't care about the fluff. They don't, they just want the straight answer of this is where our problem is. This is what we need to do. And then other people want to just be you know, held a little bit more, you know what I mean? They want a little bit of fluffier an answer so they don't get, you know, pers- they don't feel attacked or something, you know? Are you, are you intentional,
1: like that situational leadership thing, which is something we've talked about on the show before. Um, I'm sh- like, we, we talk about it within Breakthrough Academy a lot, like this different people need different things, different, different communication styles, different, conflict resolution styles they and even individuals need different things at different times in their growth like is that something that you're pretty in tune on Where, like when you before you do a call or someone comes into your office do you kind of do a quick check where you're like "Mm, okay I think I think this should be my angle on this person or this should be my approach to this or is it
2: just like very fluid and organic? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. I, I, I would say it's it's very intentional. It's calculated it, to it's some very, degree. And I, I find myself very often, like if Janelle is dealing with something, I'm like, okay, remember, this is how they respond best. You've got to go at this angle because this is where they'll actually hear you. Huh. If you come at it from the other side, you're just gonna hit a wall so it's funny and I I very I am very in tune like because I think when I look at my, my leadership style I I spend a lot of time with these people I understand what their values are I I really put a lot of time into their development I put a lot of time into getting to know who they are and what they you know really feel strongly about so yeah absolutely I will go at you know, our, our project manager one way and our construction manager different. Like I'll, I'll we have totally different conversations mm-hmm. and, and it might be the same outcome that comes at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But we have, I come at it from very different angles. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's done
1: intentionally and you very. give it some pre, you give it some forethought before doing something. Yep. Yeah, that's really cool one thing that I think is um unique about your guys' business is you guys do landscape supply you also do construction you also have three locations as well so you're spread out geographically and I think that's a um, you know when I, when I talk to members or prospects about like the goals that they have for the future this idea of having satellite offices or opening up in new towns or new states or provinces is very very it's a very common goal that get people excited what what is that like going from like one shop to three? How do your systems need to evolve? How does your leadership need to evolve? How does your organizational chart change? Like what's 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 that making that jump like from one to three?
3: Uh, I would say it starts off very exciting because it's almost like you're opening another business. Um, but with that comes its challenges of you really need to make sure you have the right people managing those locations because cooper and i can't be at three places at once yeah um so you have to build a lot of trust with your team which we've done and they do a fantastic job but i would say it's it goes from exciting to like challenging really fast um and
1: like the excitement wears off pretty quickly
3: yeah and it costs way more than you ever think it's going to cost. How come? I think you think, well, I, when we opened like our most recent, our third location two years ago, it was like, oh, we'll just open the doors and it'll be good. People will come. Yeah. But you are, you're starting over. Like that location is not already generating revenue. So did you have to market
1: it more heavily than you thought you would?
3: Yep. And it's hard it's not necessarily growing our revenue. It's more to service our customers better, like so that we're closer to them. Um, And people don't handle change well. Like they, they like the idea of having something closer to them to come, but they just like habits. They just drive past and go back where they always go. So I would, it, They've all three locations have gone really well. It's just it's taken longer than we anticipated and to cost kind more. Of, yeah, get think, to where we wanted to go.
2: And I think the unexpected challenge that we faced with three locations is, is we have a really strong culture.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Geographically, you spread that out. You have to put way more work into keeping everybody. You know at Our main hub location, uh, if you were to say like hub and spoke kind of model, but it we have such a great culture and it's easy. It's like everybody feels it. There's a vibe, there's a vibe,
1: man, there's a rhythm, there's kind of a heartbeat to the whole, the whole office. And then you transplant that. It doesn't always, it
2: doesn't work. And I think culture is a big factor in our success. Like it's a big factor in attracting the people we've attracted. It's a big factor in, you know, I believe our brand is, is very much something like our culture represents our brand. And so, Making sure that those other satellite locations have that feel because when people go to one location and then they go to the other, they want to have the same experience. They want to have the same feel and it's hard to do. And so we've, you know, over the last, you know, 18 months, we've really put a lot of thought and intention into how do we keep this culture strong at all three locations? And that is it's not easy. And how have you done it? Do you have any examples of things? We've done so. Janelle jumps on a call every week with the team, uh, all like from all, all three locations. locations. Yeah, absolutely. So that she she can get like everybody chatting in the same group. We have a great Slack uh, account that has a whole bunch of different channels of, you know, pr- there's a lot of personal stuff, business stuff, there. fun stuff. Absolutely, they have F1 like a meme they talk- page. Absolutely, yeah, 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 okay. they have a brag board. So like every time someone does something great, we throw it up on the brag board and everyone gets excited. There's an F1 page. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's cars go fast yeah that's awesome anyway uh i'm very not active on that page because i don't even understand f1 uh but no it's it's and so we've done a bunch of team building events so we're like trying to get the 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 groups all together Uh so that everyone has that feel janelle Uh goes out and visits all the locations um so but i i think we we have a long way to go too Mm -hmm. i think more you know, loom videos might help. Uh, we're, we're, we're experimenting with a lot of things to see how we can keep that culture part intact. Because that's one of our ingredients to our success is that culture.
1: I, I think those are such great answers, guys. So it's like it's, it's going to cost more. First of all, it's worth doing. But... It's going to cost more yes. than you think. It's not going to be like you don't just open the doors and it's an immediate success. You may have to market the crap out of it. You may have to tell your customers 10 times that they can shop here now. Um, and then I think this that culture piece is really an interesting one because I don't think most people give that the thought that it deserves going into it. You just sort of assume that it's going to it's going to transplant or it's going to just happen organically and it's it doesn't like it, it takes a ton of work and there's a cool Slack channel. We do, we get together or you go out and visit them. We do a weekly huddle where everyone's all together on zoom or whatever. I, I just, I'd, I'd love to, uh, yeah, it's a very, very interesting conversation. And I think those are really good points on, on the geographical spread thing. And some of the challenges, uh, therein when you, um, <clears throat> look back on the last few years and I'm still talking about the leadership team thing here. If you were to talk to like your former self, or you were to talk to someone who's maybe like five or six years behind where you guys are right now, when they're listening to this going like, yeah, I really need to get, I'd really love to have a GM one day. I'd really love to have a sales manager one day. I'd love to have marketing looked after by someone else. They, they, they're, they're approaching that point where they need to build out a leadership team. What advice would you give them?
2: I think it has to do like my common theme is just time. You got to devote you got to know that you're going to have to devote this time and it's time to develop them. It's time to train them. It's time to get to know them, you know? Like it's it's you got to really know who you're working with. You got to know what makes them tick. I think taking the right amount of time to make the proper hire. Mm. The the hire's huge. The time to develop them you know, the time to train them and, and then just really understand them. I think it's investing the time, whatever time you invest in them, you're going to get it back tenfold. You need to be patient. Yep. Absolutely. It doesn't happen. Over, and you're not start
3: well in advance of when you think you're going to need that person.
1: Like if you need a GM next week, you're probably not going to hire the right person. 100%.
3: Yeah.
1: Cool. Um, We're almost out of time here, guys. I wanted to ask you a couple other, just a couple other ones in closing. Um, One thing we haven't talked about is while doing all this, you guys have also had three kids over the last few years. You, you, you guys are busy on both ends, uh, work-life balance. Some people believe in it. Some people think it's, it's kind of a fake word. Like how, like I just simply put, how have you guys done this? Like you, you've scaled your business to, uh, like you guys are going to be well into the eight figures this year. You've got 60 staff and you've also got a young family, like any, any tips or secrets for success
2: there? I think it's comes down to priorities. You only have we all have the same amount of hours in the day, so it's prioritizing those hours, and it's it's we become really efficient. Like mm-hmm. we become really really efficient with our time. There's no downtime, um, work life balance at home. I don't know that we have that. We're like parenting and answering the phone, and like <laughs> we're still talking strategy at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Uh, we don't have a great work life balance. We're always working in some capacity, um, but we Janelle and I take really great trips. I think. Her and I, like travel, is something that we share that we uh, love for. So we've, I mean, we've taken, we go, we go away a lot. I think we go away mm-hmm. once a month at least, uh, for like four to five days. So, and in the winter, it's more. Um, but we we take great trips, and we really, you know, we 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 did south france last year and we did we've done like all over through the state we've done europe a lot and and so we just spend time planning really great trips that we're looking forward to and that gets us like that gets us excited that's the just great trips great trips that's all that's all we do i don't think we yeah. do really anything else general has zero hobbies so i think she tells that too
1: <laughs> that's good advice um guys i i really really appreciate you guys taking us through sort of like implementing the MVP file, getting better visibility into your numbers, this change in mindset that you had to go through, Cooper, this leadership team thing at the end has been really interesting as well. If people wanted to get in touch with you, they wanted to pick your brain, if they wanted to write you an email and just ask you a a question, um, where can they find you?
2: Uh, We both have social channels, which are our names, uh, Cooper Leary, uh, YYC, and Janelle Leary. Um, Our website is... um, clslandscapesply.com. Our emails are on there. Reach out to us at any time. Love to chat with with whoever. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks a lot Thank you.
3: It.
1: Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.
0: PaintEd podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners.